Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves. Happy Tuesday to you as we broadcast live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard. It is Tuesday, February 20th. Good morning. Bob, how are you? I'm feeling good. Um, And I stayed up a little late last night because I wanted to watch that – Iowa State Houston game, and um, I was a little worried how that was going to feel this morning, but I feel good. Might be the weather, you know. I mean, this, even though it's cold, it's that seeing a little bit of light now in the morning, I think that makes a huge difference. So I'm uh, feeling all right. How about you? Good to go over here. Nothing to complain about. Slept fine. I've been at it. Brought Sam breakfast. You declined my invitation. And now I got regret. I'm going to eat it here nice and slowly in front of you. <laughs> I've got my little piece of cheese that's going to tide me over all morning. A little rat over there. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got Sam a biscuit sitting there. I called Bob. I said, Bob, you want a bit, You want anything from Chick-fil-A? No, no, I'm fine. Got my cheese. <laughs> I'll be all right. And I said, you sure? He's like, yeah, thanks for the offer. I said, okay, you snooze, you lose. So then I, I just told John when I hung up, I was like, about 30 seconds later, I was like, man, I'd sure like a biscuit. That does sound good, but, you know. I got my $4 orange juice sitting here. Mm. Mm. $4. Never been an orange juice guy. My son loves it, but i just never gotten into it. I can't afford to drink it, usually. It's just a once, a, once every quarter treat. Yeah. Cash in on those reward points, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I never get those reward points. All I get from Eddie over here is a free delivery that I never use. Yeah. Yeah, I get those in the I end. get so damn mad when I get those emails. Special gift for you. Yeah. And I, my dumb ass goes, well, let's see what it is this time. Maybe it's a biscuit. <laughs> no, free delivery. Oh, thanks, Eddie. Free delivery on the on the menu that you then hike up, you know, a couple dollars. Thank you. Every time, every time I get the email, every time, well, let's see what it is this time. <laughs> Definitely not going to be something nice and delicious. Nope, it's the same old free delivery. They've got people just totally hypnotized, and I'm one of them. But uh, on the drive last week, I think last Friday, they did a poll on who has the best chicken sandwich, and they, they like, run away with it, you know. And there's other good chicken sandwiches, yeah. but I think everybody just kind of thinks – that's top of mind, man. It always is. I got to be honest. It's kind of the only chicken sandwich I eat fast food. Yeah, me too. So, I mean, like, I, I, I know the Popeyes had the craze for a bit. It was good. It was solid. It was a good sandwich. Outside of that, like, I don't go to McDonald's and get a chicken sandwich. I had before. It was solid, whatever. It's fine. But I'm going to get a burger if I go there. I think Houston started the whole thing because he had a Bojangles one and said that's, like, the best he's had. I don't even know Bojangles served lunch, to be honest. I mean, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever eaten lunch at Bojangles. Maybe once. I take that back. I knew they had lunch. They, they, yeah. They the KFC, like, to get the type of chicken and all that. Yeah, sure, like, whatever. But I never eat it. The Bowberry Biscuit? You ever had that? Too sweet. But, yeah, I didn't love it. But Delicacy. I, yeah. They had one right next to, across from my high school. So, like, whenever I'd be 10 or 15 minutes late, my first period teacher was Jim. He'd be like, just bring me a biscuit. We'll be even. So I'd always That's have a good deal. Yeah, that was just the kind of deal with everybody. I, I think I helped him gain a little weight. Yeah. Apologies to Coach Howard if he's listening. But but that was kind of his deal. Like, yeah, you show up late. Just bring me some food. We'll call it even. I'm like, all right. Fair enough. Then I'd always get the Bowberry biscuit. But I was like, it's too sweet. 
Because I don't really like I don't like other chicken biscuits either. I've tried theirs too. I don't like it. I don't like the Hardy's chicken biscuit. I don't know. It's Chick Fil A does do it right. I will say, despite how annoying their their drive through is and how annoying the uh, the emails about free delivery are, I will say they they do a good job. The great irony is when you have these kind of conversations, the name that never pops up is like the OG of it all, which was Kentucky Fried Chicken, and I never even think of them at this point. I had a nice little run for a bit when I lived close to one where I would stop by, and I I wouldn't get like a sandwich or anything, but I'd get like, you know, the tenders. The tenders are pretty solid. I'd get those, but I don't know. You ever think the employees are just overly too nice? At Chick-fil-A? Yeah. 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 I don't want to have to tell you thank you like four different times and act like this is the best transaction of my life. I got told to have the greatest day of my life the last time I went there. No, the the question. The question. The guy? Yeah. He always tells me that too. And I always just be like, way ahead of you, brother. (laughs) I was like, you too, man. Yeah. He's nice. I will say. He's nice, yeah. I I will say I do like that guy, but I know who you're talking about because he always says the same thing. I don't know if he's being ironic and trying to just be over the top or if that's just how they get down there. I don't know. He might, yeah. But yeah, he does tell me that and I like him. I like him all right. The people over there, I will say there's a couple that I see frequently because, like, we, we work so close to it. So, like, I kind of only have two or three things in rotation that I eat, and that's one of them. And I do like the people over there. We have a little rapport. We have a little rapport because I guess I eat there too much. They know your your order? Same as Jersey like, Mike's. Well, I always regular? do the app. No, no, no. I always do the app. Okay. No, come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I might be a boomer, but I, I, I use the app. I use the app, and I get mad at the people in front of me who don't use the app. And the same guy will be like, I got a mobile pickup. He's like, of course you do because you're fabulous. <laughs> of course you do because you're the best ever. He says things like that to him. Like, yeah, you're right about that, brother. I got one guy who knows me there, calls me Mr. Bob. Nice. Um, and then, but then also always dovetails, dovetails into what – what what do you got planned for today? Big plans for today? And it's like, no man, don't I don't uh you're very courteous and that's good, but let's leave it at that. We, <laughs> we don't need to get into personal <laughs> yeah. relationships yeah. in our inner inner workings of our life. You might be wanting a job or something. You might be networking, you never know. Maybe. That's Mr. Bob. Well needs, be nice to him when he comes through. Needs to start shuffling some free biscuits then. Sliding a couple. Yeah. I, I had a guy at Hardy's. I had a guy at Hardy's over in Farragut where I lived. He he would sh- uh slide me some free biscuits. In exchange, he'd be like, hey, bro, just go do this survey and give me a shout-out. Tell me I did it, Tell him I did a good job. I'm like, got it. <laughs> or if I give us even like a three-minute wait or something, like, I'm so sorry for the wait. Don't worry about it. It's on me. Like, that's kind of cool. I, I feel like if I worked fast food, that's what I would do, just give free food out all the time. What are they going to do, fire me? Who cares? Go, go to a different place. <laughs> but I would be the cool guy mm-hmm. in the drive-thru giving out the cool people yeah. free food. That's what that's what I'm going to do. Although we did cross the line yesterday at Jersey Mike's. Cause everyone knows a good Jersey Mike's. Every Monday, you can find me in there sometime around eleven fifteen or so. Which, if I was a, if I was, if I had enemies, you know, if I was watching Sopranos the other night. If, if they were trying to get a hit out on me, they would know Way where to find easy. me. Eleven fifteen, they'd, they'd clip me coming right outside of Jersey Mike's. Because this guy's got a routine every Monday. But yeah, we we crossed over with a different shift because they, they have a lot of people in there working, and they finally like, oh yeah, it's Monday. We know what you want, and. And then started talking about my orders, and we thought guys like for a while. Whenever you just get the mayo and bacon on your club, I thought you thought maybe my hands were dirty, and you didn't want the toppings because my hands were dirty. I was like, no, it wasn't that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ring me up, but always leave them a twenty percent tip. I'm like, hey, you guys are my friends, but we haven't made it to the name or what are we doing later? One guy told me like my shoes, my shoes. He was Whoa. a shoe guy too. We had that going. Um. You just got me thinking when you were talking about if you were working at, if you were working fast food, you would say, "What are they going to do? Fire me? I'll just go to the next one." You'd be like the James Harden of uh, that's it. fast food workers. That's just it. Kinda James Hardy's. Just bounce around, man. You know, just like you need a a, a dynamic, efficient scorer who can go out, go out and get you twenty points on like eleven shots. You you need you need someone like me to to run the register. And to, like, look like I'm holding things down. <laughs> because otherwise, you're going to have kids or people that you look at, and you're like, I don't know if I quite trust that guy yet. But me, you'd be like, oh, that guy, I could trust him. And, you know, I'd be like, hey, top of the morning to you. This biscuit, this orange juice is on me. They'd come out and be like, hey, bro, you can't keep giving out the orange juice. That things, those, those things are really expensive. The biscuits, that's fine. We're just losing a dollar. You're giving out the orange juice, that's like $5 a pop. You got to stop that. Whew. 
Did you watch? Anybody watch any of uh, Daytona last night? Not a single second. <laughs> Not a lap. <laughs> Remember how much? Me, me too. I watched the very end, but we talked it up. Like, yeah, man, I'm looking forward. I'll watch a little of that. I, I, not a, not hardly any of it. Nope. I saw that it ended in a rain ca- or a caution. A rain. A yeah. Ended in caution, and that was good enough for me. I'm glad I didn't watch. I'd be so mad if the race ended in caution. It has to be one of the worst things in sports, right? When a race ends and yeah, not even just a a fake race to the finish line. Because sometimes, you know, there'll just be a nice gap and the person kind of cruises, but not even a fake race to the finish line. I had to choose between that or catch up on uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it's kind of a no-brainer. You all the way caught up? Yes. I still haven't watched the newest episode. I'm, uh, I've, I've gotten two down. Spoiler alert, it's great, as usual. It's funny as hell. Stick with us. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Got Will Warren coming up in the second hour. Gonna talk some Tennessee hoops. Stick with us. All right, let's go to the phone lines. Let's talk to Stats by Will, the Kevin Bacon of Knoxville Media. Will Warren, good morning to you, my friend. Good morning. That's a very honorable uh, intro. The Kevin Bacon of Knoxville Media. How dangerous is this Missouri team to Tennessee tonight? Well, I think Missouri might be more dangerous to themselves than to others. Uh, they, you know, they're 0-12. I, I do think, you know, people, you know, look at 0-12 and they're like, okay, well, they're probably on winless. But you got to have a lot of bad luck to go 0-18 and in pretty much any league. I mean, like, tw- I thought that a Tom Crean Georgia team was worse than the Vandy team that went defeated, but the defeated Vandy team was quite unlucky. So I still think Missouri is capable of a win somewhere, but the things that gave Tennessee trouble last year don't really show up here. Like, you know, Kobe Brown isn't walking through that door. You're not going to have the transition-heavy game you're used to. It's kind of like all the flaws of last year's Missouri team without nearly as many of the highs. Is it almost like the Missouri did a little deal with the devil last year, you know, and got everything right. And to your point with, you know, Kobe Brown moving on. And um, you mentioned in your, uh, your scout of this game, Des Moy Hodge, um, a name I had already forgotten about, but um, it feels like this year it's all come crashing down. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that uh, they, they don't really have the guys, you know, the portal strategy I think the way Tennessee does it is probably more sustainable than the way Mizzou does it, where, you know, yeah, you've got your recruits, you've got your returners, but Tennessee's generally only looking to fill a couple of spots a year through the portal, whereas Missouri pretty much remade their whole roster. And you're hoping those up transfers hit like they did last year, but as I'm in the case, you know, you, it, it's kind of hard to pinpoint the ones that have worked. Like Tamar Bates from Indiana has worked out just fine, but a lot of the other guys haven't. And I think that can be part of the danger of taking transfers from lower leagues. It is hard to project that production to the SEC versus Bates, who, you know, played his basketball in the Big Ten for two years. A little easier to see how his athleticism could translate league to league. You mean- but they, I mean, they've also dealt with injuries like Caleb Grill, who came over from Iowa State, hasn't played since December. They've had a freshman who's been out for two weeks. Our boy, Connor Vanover, one of my favorite players of all time. Uh, a true, if we're going to call Zach Eady a circus freak, Vanover probably belongs in the field, too. Uh, he hasn't been playing lately, so they've they dealt with some injuries. They've been a little unlucky, but, you know, it, it really is to me as simple as last year. You nailed all those up transfers. This year, you've really only had one go your way. It's sad reading Dennis Gates' little excerpt here on Google. It took just one season for a Witten family men's basketball coach, Dennis Gates, to make an impression at Missouri. Which, by the way, the Witten family men's basketball coach. It's a, I'm glad Tennessee hasn't really adopted that, naming the coach and, and selling off the rights there. Now in his second season with the Tigers, Gates aims to take the next step as Mizzou competes for titles competes for titles as they are 8 and 17 and winless <laughs> in the SEC. 
The only title they have competed for, Will, is the title of the worst team of the SEC. They can compete with uh, the Bryce Drew Vandy team for the Woat. They've got a shot. <laughs> it does feel like you have to fire your coach if he goes winless in the conference, right? Like, it does feel like you can't bring him back if he if he goes and runs the table and loses every game. You have to fire him, even if it is his second year. Well, normally, yeah. But I feel like they, he built up so much goodwill with that, you know, Brady Hoke horseshoe season last year where they won every single close game that it's probably glossing over the fact that team was not all that good in the first place. So uh, I, I think you look at that, and they're not going to fire him. And – I learned the other day that Dennis Gates, you're going to want to hear this, has a $25 million buyout from this <laughs> AD who just left. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon, but definitely a little more wobbly than it appeared last year. How did that AD get poached and hired by Arizona, right? How, how did she get hired by Arizona after giving Dennis Gates a, a $25 million buyout? Very simple. She's an Arizona alum. Oh, well, so that's okay. what. That's how. That's how you can convince some people. I'm coming home. Coming home. Um, <laughs> so, I'm looking at this team. We were talking about it a little bit earlier. Um, the guys that contribute most. You mentioned Tamar Bates, Sean East, Nick Honor. Um, it's it's all guards. And so is this a night where if you're if you're game planning for Tennessee, would would it just make sense it's gonna be let let Jonas eat, right? I mean, wouldn't you think? Well yeah, and with their centers, you know, Vanover's basically the only guy who doesn't foul like a machine. That and it's it's a strange team where you know, last year's team was fairly short, like they were undersized. They're very athletic. You remember you know, playing both of those games, just how fast that Missouri team was. Yeah. This year's team is kind of just short. So you've you got that at the at one through four. At five, they do have three different seven footers. They cycle through. I would charitably say none of them are any good. So you, you got a starter at center, Jordan Butler, seven point seven fouls per forty. His backup, uh, seven foot two guy, five fouls per forty. Backups, backup, Vanover, only 2.6 fouls per 40 because he can't stay in front of anybody because he's 7'5". So they they have no real way of stopping drives to the rim sustainably. I think this could be a huge ADU game. It could be a huge Awaka game, too, especially on the boards, given how bad Missouri is at defensive rebounding. Whenever you watch, do you also go, waka, 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 every time he gets a rebound? Because I do. I'll adopt it. I'll give it a shot. It's like the Pac-Man sound. I mean, he's gobbling up the rebounds like, you know, the Pac-Man. You you gobble up the little pellets. Waka, 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 waka. (laughs) Statsbywill.substack.com. Go subscribe. Get smarter about college basketball. Get smarter about Tennessee basketball. Will, if Missouri does win this game tonight, it's because of what? Well, one, Tennessee's had to have had a massive collapse somewhere. But, two, the the way I think they can hang in there, they they do have some decent three-point shooters out and about. You know, East has had a good season from deep honors, been well. Bates has been well. If all three of those guys are hitting, I think this can be a competitive game. But it's probably going to take all three, or it's going to take a real disastrous shooting night from Tennessee. And even then, this Missouri team is so bad at rebounding Tennessee might just accumulate so many more shots than Missouri that it might not matter. Yeah, I saw your prediction is that, you know, basically everybody on the team gets an offensive rebound, or everybody in the starting five gets an offensive rebound tonight. So Tennessee is going to have a big advantage there? Yeah, huge advantage. I mean, this okay. is the, – the way Missouri plays defense, they play this – they rotate between man-to-man, which truly sucks, and uh, one three one zone – which you really don't see much anymore, but it's a hyper-aggressive one where they, I've watched a lot of their possessions. They end up with one guy at the you know rebounding versus like two or three on the offensive end. So the, you know, their whole thing is if they can force turnovers, they're in business. If they can't force turnovers, they're going to get ran off the court. 
This past weekend, Tennessee caught some breaks. Auburn lays an egg at home against Kentucky. South Carolina blows a 16-point lead to LSU. It feels a little bit now, like, or it feels almost a certainty now, that it's only a two-team race for the conference championship. How do you feel? What level of confident are you that Tennessee can catch Alabama or does catch Alabama here down the stretch? I feel all right about it. The uh, the thing with you know the projections, they're going to have most places you look are going to have Tennessee going four and two the rest of the way. With you know them probably finding a loss among Auburn, South Carolina, Kentucky, but I I don't feel like that's probably going to be the case. Tennessee, you know, the one home game they've lost all year was a catastrophic shooting performance that you're not likely to repeat. And otherwise, Tennessee's been nails at home, and the road performances have honestly been pretty good for the most part. Like yeah, you had the A and M stinker, but every other road or neutral loss has been fine like an explicable loss so uh, i think if you can take those five that aren't alabama if you lose the alabama game it is what it is because you still went one and one in the season series with them if you can finish 14 and four it's going to go down to tiebreakers and you look at the tiebreakers tennessee's going to be in business like tennessee will have gone one and oh against auburn in that scenario tennessee would have more wins against you know, Kentucky, I believe, in that scenario. Yeah, they'd be 2-0 and against Kentucky. They'd be 1-0 and against Florida. And those are the teams that are likely to be right there behind you at number three. So you feel confident that Alabama's going to drop at least two down the stretch here? I think they drop two. It's just, it's a really brutal schedule they've got coming up with, you know, not only Tennessee at home, but you got, you know, road Kentucky on Saturday, road Florida near the end of the season. Road Ole Miss is not an easy one either. That's going to be a... That's going to be a big one for Chris Beard to sort of cement the uh, get-me-out-of-here resume. So I, uh, I think they've got a couple more coming. That defense I still don't trust either. So I think Tennessee's very capable of catching them, but it's probably going to come down to tiebreakers. But, you know, if you raise a banner, you don't think about tiebreakers. You have the banner. So get and, to 14 wins. Yeah, and being the one seed in the SEC tournament, we could do the – the reverse of 2018 where, you know, we, we split with Auburn and we're happy about that, but we can say, Hey, the tiebreakers matter this time. We're the actual sec champions. It's crazy how quickly that Alabama perception shifted with their schedule. Because I remember looking at it two weeks ago and thinking they had it easy down the stretch, but all of a sudden Florida keeps winning. Florida looks really good and Kentucky wakes up. And now that seems like a pretty tough final, you know, five games for them. Yeah, I mean, they've got a very tough schedule remaining. You know, it is it is funny that Arkansas has turned out the way they have. You figure, like, early in the season, Arkansas would have been the tough one to end your schedule with. But if they – their whole thing is if they can go 4-1 and one in the next five, they're going to be the SEC champions. But it's just going to be very hard to come out of that stretch with fewer than two losses. I mean, we, we all trust their offense. We all think it's amazing, obviously. But – I, I don't even know Alabama fans that seem to really trust they could string together stops very long. And when you have as many good offenses remaining on that schedule as they do, that's tough to deal with. I have a two-part question for you, Will. And mm-hmm. the first part of it is, uh, it sounds like at Auburn, Jalen Williams is out maybe a couple of weeks, um, optimistically speaking. Their schedule still, they have five games left. Their schedule is still pretty favorable. Um, how we feel about Auburn at this point in terms of their ability to still challenge for the conference title, I, I feel like I've, uh, I'm, I'm shading that a little bit. But then also Kentucky, based on what you saw Saturday night, um, was that just a, a moment of uh, revelation for them? We've seen Cal turn things around quickly. Is this we – we were talking about this yesterday. You know, is this a team that – uh, Tennessee's chances for that conference title, you know, say they do beat Alabama, et cetera, that it still comes down to that final game against Kentucky. Not so much that Kentucky would have a shot to win the conference title, but that they could, you know, get right at this point and start really spoiling spoiling teams' progress. We've seen it before. Uh, love your thoughts on both of those. Well, I think on the Kentucky side of things, you know, they they're capable of getting stuff together. 
But I, I think Gary Parrish actually did a, of all people, Gary Parrish did a great job of pointing this out uh, yesterday where they're like, oh, if Kentucky can play defense like that two games in a row, they're making the Final Four. You could say that about literally any team in America at any time. They had two good games. So, uh, and it really helps, you know, of their last three games, opponents have shot 21% from three. Probably not going to hold that for much longer. So, uh, I look at them and I kind of fade here a little bit. Like, I don't think they can take Tennessee at Tennessee, but I think they, they've got some tough road games coming up. Like, LSU is not a gimme anymore. Home Alabama is going to be tough for them. Road Mississippi State is going to be tough for them. So I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Kentucky finish outside of the double buys in the SEC. So I don't know that they're going to hang in there. Auburn, meanwhile, I think it is just they've probably got four wins more or less locked in, and then the swing game is that Tennessee game. If they win it, they're in the title race. If they don't, they're out. Do you think LSU and Florida both have the right coaches because it feels like both those programs are trending in the right direction quickly for both of them as well? Florida, yes. I feel good about Florida. I think it, it took them a while to get things rolling this year, but they finally look like a future Sweet 16 team. LSU, I really don't know, man. I thought they'd be better this year. and They're trending up. You know, Beating South Carolina is good. They beat A&M earlier in the season have a couple other good wins, but it's year two for Matt McMahon, fellow Oak Ridge boy, and I just don't see, like, I don't see what the positives are, like, in the future because a lot of the best players he's got right now are seniors who are graduating. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe you're right there. To me, I guess I just thought they looked well-coached and play hard, but you're right. Maybe, maybe saying that they're turning in the right direction is not right. They're they're better. Don't get me wrong, but I I don't know that he's going to be a long term fit. Where do you think Vanderbilt ends up going after firing Jerry Stackhouse? Are there any names out there circulating? There's a few I've heard. I mean, I won't. I don't feel like any of this is original reporting, so I won't hide behind it. But it seems like Chris Mack is going to be an option. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him. The uh, Takeo Siddle, who is the UNC Wilmington head coach, is going to be. An option, and then obviously, I think the one people are always going to think about for this because of the proximity, Casey Alexander at Belmont. Belmont's not had the best season, but I think it would be an instant coaching on the floor upgrade if you took him and uh, replaced Stackhouse. But uh, I definitely think like their big swing for the fence has to be Chris Mack. What about Memphis? Penny Hardaway going to survive at Memphis, in your opinion? That seems, what I've heard, it seems like he's a year away yeah. from being in serious trouble. I, I, I would be kind of shocked. That I was pondering this yesterday if he would make a move for an NBA assistant job just to get out and reset the clock. But he kind of seems like the guy, a type of guy who's willing to go down with the ship. Yeah, the more he talks, the more likely I think they might just mutually part ways, though, because his quotes last night were a little strange. I don't know if you saw him, but, I mean, he – he was kind of doubling down and said, I put us in position to win every single night. I can't get out on the court and play as well. And I'm like, I don't know if you can say you're putting yourself in position to win every night when you get beat by 30. Like, okay, relax a little bit. And saying that when he got this job, he knew he was just going to be a target. I get a lot of negativity. We win 10 games and lose one. It's going to be the worst loss in the whole world if I lose that one, though. So, like, it seems like he's buckling. So, like you said, maybe getting back to the NBA and being an assistant coach Makes sense for both him and Jerry Stackhouse. Statsbywill.substack.com. Statsbywill on X. I look forward to like getting back to like Tennessee basketball next week. It's kind of boring right now. There's not much you can give us about Missouri that's going to make me think Missouri can beat Tennessee tonight because, like you said, if Tennessee loses, something has gone drastically wrong. But next week, next week we get into the stretch run here as you start trying to chase championships, and I look forward to talking to you, Will. Yes, can't wait. For, next week is the marquee week of the season, I would say. It's like you in Tremors or, you know, Hollow Man or some other Kevin Bacon type of movies. I'll workshop this before next week. <laughs> I'll, I'll have some better Kevin Bacon comparisons. Will, appreciate you. Talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. Stats by Will. As good as it gets when it comes to college basketball. Did you see in his uh... – Games, Game Scout for the location. He had the Kim English Emporium. That's what he called uh, 
the venue for the game. I thought that was great. I'm going to be honest, uh, I didn't bother to read the Missouri preview because Missouri's 8-17 and 17 and winless in the SEC. Yeah. I'm glad that you are supporting, though, and I'm glad you're – I scroll, I scroll, but I don't have time for Will's wit when it comes to, A, when I'm on the show, but B, just about Missouri. I'm, I'm good. I don't need a breakdown and tell me they suck. But next week, next week, I'm going to be locked in fully, you know, about how we match up with Auburn and South Carolina and then, of course, Kentucky and Alabama and all of that. I guess I got that order wrong a little bit, but you know what I mean. Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina, Kentucky. Yes. Yeah, I I was thinking about their – you know, we, we talked about Dennis Gates. I was thinking about Missouri's co- coaching lineage. You know, it looked like maybe they got it right with Gates, but maybe not. But you think about who was before. You had Conzo. Before that, you had Kim Anderson. It's been rough sledding for that program that used to be like a prestige program way back when. Where's Frank Haith when you need him? Where's he at? The uh, the televangelist coach is what I called him. He always dressed like he was. Uh, he's still at Tulsa. He knew what was, he knew something was up. He actually left for a lesser job. Yeah, that that was resetting the clock and and you know finding yourself some job security. That was coaching one on one. There, he looked around at Missouri and said, 23 and twelve, missed the tournament. Ah, I'm out of here. <laughs> See you, bye." And then yeah, now he's been at Tulsa for like what eight years. Yeah, smart move. Smart move by him. Sam, send us a break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Dr. Stephen Malone at Knoxville Smiles. He and his staff take pride in listening to and communicating with their patients to help you, the patient, make the best decision about their dental health. From routine dental cleanings to teeth removal, restorative procedures such as fillings, crowns, and bridges, Invisalign, veneers, implants, they can do it all at Knoxville Smiles. You can contact them today at 865-539-1776. That's 865-539-1776 to set up an appointment, and you can take a virtual tour of their state-of-the-art West Knoxville facility at KnoxvilleSmiles.com. KnoxvilleSmiles.com. I just don't understand why Memphis wouldn't move on from Penny Hardaway. What is the purpose of not moving on? Do you just not want to admit defeat? Is it just a bad relationship? Is it your dream partner that you thought you could make it work with and now you're just not willing to to admit that it doesn't because you don't want to have to deal with what comes next. I don't get it because nothing about Penny Hardaway's tenure at Memphis has really screamed success, right? They've made two tournaments. I don't think they've won a game. I know they lost last year in the first round. Did they, did they win a game in 2022? I'm pretty sure they lost in the first round there too. It's not like there's any success to really point to. He hasn't finished the season ranked yet. I don't understand what they're holding on to, especially now. It feels like Memphis is in a really bad spot as a program. Like Vanderbilt is similar, but Vanderbilt at least has the SEC to, to maybe prop themselves up a little bit. And like, if you can get back to just being a, a middle-of-the-pack SEC team, you might be a tournament team. In the AAC, that's different. Like, you're you're in a conference that's dying. No one kind of wants you. You have to kind of go back to being just the kind of premier independent program of the South. And I know, like, not independent, but, like, that's kind of the vibe they have to be on. Kind of like you think of Gonzaga as an independent because their conference doesn't prop them up at all, really. Like, Memphis has to be that. They have to be that version in the South, and like they seem to be a really long ways away from doing that. You look at just within the conference that they're in, some of the teams that have done much more with with less prestige, um, less pull, I guess you would call it, with 
you know, an ex-NBA, great, um, coaching them. Um, Florida Atlantic. South Florida now is one of the real sexy teams in college basketball just because of the job that their coach is doing there. South Florida's in a good spot with their football program, too. They're, yeah. uh, they're, they're kind of set to be that main mid-major slash group five team. Yeah. I was just looking at uh, Penny's Memphis tenure. You know, he won the NIT in 2021. Woo! Yeah. Um, that was going to catapult them to greatness the next season. They came in preseason ranked number 12. Yeah. And they, it looks like they won one tournament game in 21-22. And then last year, we, we talked about that yesterday, how they, they – had that meltdown against Florida Atlantic to lose that game. Um, I just – I don't see it. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen it. That's what really – all I've ever seen with Penny was a guy who kind of ran as – I hate to say it, man. There's a lot of through lines with what I see with Coach Prime over at Colorado. More of a CEO of the program that kind of runs it and recruits well, um, but then never really converts – terms of success on the court um and we're seeing it it's like the sign of a good coach would be how do you get out of this tailspin they've had you know again they're three i think three and six or three and seven in their last nine or ten games they they have enough talent they're not in a power conference and they're they're losing meaningful conference games and losing them in some instances like sunday they're getting blown out so and they're favored in all these games too (laughs) yeah yeah exactly which I guess that's that that was unfair of me. They did beat Boise State in the tournament in 2022, and then they kind of blew that Gonzaga game. They should have beaten Gonzaga in the second round. They, they kind of choked that right. game away. Like yeah. they they had a chance to make a deep run that year, fell apart, lost that game, blew a lead, and then of course we know last year gagged a gagged a chance to to knock out FAU in the first round of the tournament last year, but. The Coach Prime stuff is interesting. You know, both former great players. Now, Coach Prime's career, Deion Sanders, he had a much better playing career than Penny Hardaway. Like, you know, when you look at longevity and and standing and, you know, the way people look up to them. But Penny Hardaway was really good for a stretch and really popular for a stretch. Now, when you look at their coaching careers, I, I don't know if I've ever looked at Penny Hardaway and maybe it's just the disdain I have for Memphis and their fans and that program but like I understand the appeal of Deion Sanders when I look at Deion Sanders I see charisma that's how it's been my entire life you know from him being a cowboy and high stepping into the end zone when I'm five or six years old thinking that's the coolest thing ever to learning more about his time at Florida State and the gold chains and the the rap songs, and then, of course, you know, just hearing him on TV and watching him speak. I get it. Deion Sanders has oozed charisma his entire life. I don't ever get that feeling with Penny Hardaway. When I think of Penny Hardaway and I think of his charisma, I think of his little doll. I think of little Penny. I know that's the second little Penny shout-out we've had on the show the last couple episodes, but still, it's true. Like that That's how boring Penny Hardaway kind of was, was they made a doll to do the talking for him. I mean, he's not even – I'm just looking at the AAC. He's not even it's, – it's debatable if he's even in the top five of coaches in that conference because, again, we talked about South Florida. Amir Abdurrahim is a, a hot commodity, probably won't be there very long. Um, Florida Atlantic, Dusty May, we know is another hot commodity. SMU, Rob Lanier showing he can coach. Uh, did it at Georgia State, is – succeeding at SMU and uh, Andy Kennedy's at UAB great coach um, it's debatable you know all those guys I feel are doing a far better job of coaching than than Penny is and that's you know again that's not even in a power conference so it's interesting what you said about the prospect of Memphis becoming kind of uh, kind of a southern independent well they, they need i mean that's kind of what they felt like with calipari i mean i know they yeah. had a couple of big games yeah. in the year or whatever but like they were expected to basically run through their conference by losing maybe one game kind of in the same way gonzaga was now you know you mentioned some of those coaches and some of those programs are, are solid and cute but like sam can do you know can you pull up a bracketology and see how many teams are supposed to have in the tournament this year because it feels like a two or three bid league at best and like in a given year that seems to kind of be I don't want to say they're ceiling but like their expectation is like hey we're going to put three teams in the tournament 
Yeah, they have two. Is what, two right that, now? That's what Lenardi has, yeah. So FAU and... Probably South Florida. Okay. So Memphis is on the wrong side right now as they keep losing? Yeah. Yeah, Memphis is... Uh, yeah, Memphis is next four out with Lenardi. So yeah, so not, they're not yeah. even close. And I'm when you look at that, well. when you look at that conference, look at that schedule. There's not, there's not enough quality left on it to to get yourself back on the right side. So, you know, I hope Memphis keeps Penny Hardaway because I kind of like the show and like the more he loses, yeah. the more he talks and like it is it is entertaining. But if I'm just them, and, and you do think of yourself as a as a program that matters, you know, I don't know where they rank themselves realistically in terms of best programs in college basketball or whatever, but at the very least, I know they consider themselves a program that matters. They do have some prestige. They do have the Penny Hardaway years, the Derrick Rose years. I mean, the I don't remember if the Tyreek Evans year ended with anything successful or whatever, but they, they want to be good. They play in an NBA arena. They, they have money, especially compared to their peers, like – it's just crazy to me they're just going to let Penny Hardaway just keep losing, hoping that he can eventually turn into Jim Harbaugh and, and start winning. But, like, it doesn't seem like that's realistic at this point. I mean, he sure has recruited. God, he's had some talent come through there. I mean, they they think back to that about four years ago. I was looking at who he had coming in with Weissman, DJ Jeffries, and others. It was like, man, they're they're going to be a force. It was a top three class, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if it was number one or not, but it was a top three class. Yep. And he, you know, it's a little unfair. You know, James Wiseman only played two games or whatever. But what I've seen with James Wiseman in the NBA, James Wiseman wasn't going to be a difference maker as a freshman in college. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was the difference between Penny, like, going to the Sweet 16 or Final Four. That wasn't going to happen. And then, of course, COVID. That was the COVID shortened season anyways, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have gotten derailed anyways. Yeah, they said uh, that that year he had the number one okay. recruiting class in the country because Wiseman had so much hype around him at that point. Well, I remember he kept beating Coach Cal for everybody. Like yeah. he, he was beating Coach Cal for basically every recruit, and you thought maybe Calipari was done as an ace recruiter and that Memphis and Penny Hardaway was going to take over that mantle, and instead both of them had kind of just been separately floundering at different for different reasons at different places. He was swiping players. You know, Jeffries had committed to Kentucky and then yeah. decommitted. Same thing with uh, Boogie Ellis, who was committed to Duke, and then he he decommitted and came over to Memphis. No, they had a chance. They had a chance to go out there and build something, but that, that ship has seen like, it seemed like it has sailed. That's why I just wonder what they're waiting on. And with Stackhouse, I mean, he never really got it rolling. I mean, he had the little bit of a run with Scottie Pippen Jr., and you thought maybe it's going to work out. I do think Stackhouse is probably a good X's and O's coach. I don't know if anything at Vanderbilt has proven that, but like I do feel like he had enough respect in NBA like G League circles, but I think he's just like doesn't know how to run a college basketball program and, and recruit and do all those things. And then you go back and – he showed some of the thin skin stuff too, where he's threatening fans on Twitter and sliding their DMs and arguing with people, and that that's a bad sign. Didn't he create a burner? I, I don't even know if he had a burner. I think he was just doing it from his own account. And and I think I think the sign of a good coach too is when you're able to do more with less sometimes. And I felt like Stackhouse did some of that last season. I felt he was there this year. He obviously doesn't have a lot of talent, and he is sinking precipitously and. I don't know. When you're at that level of coaching, Power Five conference, et cetera, you just I think you just expect more. And I don't I don't uh, dispute what you're saying about the X's and O's. I do think he's probably capable there. Uh, uh, why else would like Barnes and others have so much respect for him? Mm-hmm. I think as a coach, there's probably some respect there, but his ability to run that program, it's not showing at all. It's a, it's a mess. Yeah, it seems like both of those guys just not long. Not long for staying, and Stackhouse should be gone any minute. And if I was Penny, I would probably just agree to go somewhere else versus taking the the shame of getting fired. It seems like that would not be worth it for the ego, the hard feelings. Maybe the buyout's nice. I don't know. You could also say the same up in Michigan for Jawan Howard back at his alma mater. They've won single-digit games so far this year. That's bad. Yeah, the the whole, like, I was really good in the NBA and had a long career. I'm going to coach in college. Mike Woodson, you know, he didn't – I don't think he was good in the NBA. I don't even know if he played in the NBA, but I'm saying he coached in the NBA for a while. But, like, seems like that model not really being successful in this day of college basketball. Patrick Ewing. 
Yeah, yeah, Patrick Ewing, yeah, yeah, him too. Not really going well. No. Chris Mullins, of course, at St. John's back in the day. I wonder if Memphis comes open when they call Rick Pitino. Hey, Rick, come on down to the south. You you say those boys up at St. John's are really slow and unathletic, and that's true, but they're fast in the south. They could jump high, too. Come coach here. Pitino would do that in a heartbeat, I bet. Hour two in the books. We'll kick off hour three. What do we got on the schedule for hour three? We got some Tennessee baseball. We got some more basketball news, maybe a couple NFL headlines. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. A brand. As the NFL offseason starts ramping up a bit, we're at the part where we get vague updates, we get some combine stuff, we get some off-the-field offseason drama. I guess today, and as the shield turns, apparently Justin Fields, Sam, has unfollowed the Bears on social media. Always drama whenever you get the unfollow on social media. It's a big moment. You, you change the Avi. Yeah. You change the Avi. Everyone's like, whoa, what's happening here? Hold on. Follow some guys from some different teams, maybe. At one point, there were two people in this profile picture. Now there's just one. Hold on. Why are they following these people all of a sudden? Wow, some unfollows, some untags. Scrubbed all the evidence off of social media. No more pictures together. Nothing. What's happening there? I guess that's what stage we are at in the Justin Fields Chicago Bears breakup. As you said, there's some rumors going around Twitter that the Bears are set to make their decision within the next week or so. Yeah, that that was what I heard. Um, that's what the rumors on the internet are. That's what the are. rumors are. You know, who knows if that's true? But okay, will okay. be interesting. I mean, I, I do think that the Bears probably need to get going in terms of finding that sweet spot of like trade value for fields if you're going to send him somewhere and also evaluating your quarterback that you're going to take next and the team that wants to trade for him probably wants to kind of know if they're going to get him because they're trying to plan too. like I don't know you know looking at these free agents that are you know set to be free agents whenever the offseason begins versus like okay what are we going to do in the draft are we going to try to trade up for a quarterback CBS Sports kind of compiled the quarterback market Bob, when you're looking at these names, are any of the free agents like standouts to you? Because I'm scrolling it, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of talent. Because number six right now is Carson Wentz on my list. Yes. And the number one biggest free agent's a 36-year-old coming off of an Achilles tear. Like, I don't know what kind of long-term solutions teams have at quarterback. So when you look at a Justin Fields who's young, he's probably the number one target this offseason. I agree. I, I feel like I've changed my position from last week. Did a little bit of a flip-flop on Justin Fields. I do think he goes now um, just because of the economics of the deal. I think, Sam, you were even saying that. So uh, you can say you told me so. I, I the, My point in all this, though, is I think Fields immediately, he's not a free agent, but he becomes the most attractive available quarterback that's out there. I mean, uh, Cousins – Obviously was producing at a high level last season, but that injury at his age, that's tough to overcome. Uh, so you look at the list. I mean, Cousins, Mayfield, Tannehill, your guy from the Titans. The fact Tannehill's number – was he number three? Number three. That's a little surprising to me. I don't think Tannehill's got much left. Like, I, I don't – I think Tannehill has been really bad since the middle of two years ago. Like, yeah, I think he is what we call – Shell shocked, you know, after getting hit as many times as he got hit. And you combine that with the age and the the waning athleticism. And I think Tannehill being number three on this list is all you need to see in terms of the, the quality of the quarterback market. This isn't me being a homer. I actually think, besides Fields, the most attractive guy on this list is Gardner Minshew. I really believe that. I think he's he has proven now with a couple of teams that he's when he's gotten a chance to be the guy, he's he's delivered. Um, he did it in a short stint with Philadelphia, did it before that, obviously, in Jacksonville, did it with Indianapolis last year. And he's still relatively young, uh, younger certainly than Cousins and 
Tannehill and um, I just think that um, and and to say if he's at the top of the list that's obviously not a huge statement either. So you're saying you have Minshew over Baker as well? I think so. Nah, I, I disagree there. I think Baker's proven enough to to kind of be back to being where I feel like he's a starter in the NFL. Yeah, I, I, I still don't think Gardner's a starter. I think he is a like a twenty-five to thirty-two type of guy, or twenty-five to like thirty-five type of guy. Either he's going to be one of your worst starters, or he's going to be like you know one of the worst starters. That's kind of a bridge guy to a young guy, which is kind of what Indy brought him in to do, right? Like that's yeah. kind of his role. And in Philadelphia, it's like, hey, you're here for Jalen Hurts insurance, and here to kind of teach them. And yeah, if you play, we'll feel okay about you for a couple of weeks. And of course, Richardson got knocked out for the full season. That that made Gardner a starter, and I thought he was solid. He was fine. But to me, like I said, he's like the 25 to like 35 range where you feel really good about having the best backup in the league. But as a starter, like I, I don't think he gets anybody excited. Whereas Baker, I think he showed enough in Tampa Bay to be more like in the, you know, the 15 to 22 range of quarterbacks. So I have him ranked a little bit ahead. I love the Mayfield story this past season. Everybody loves a comeback. It feels like he's grown up a little bit too and just – overall behavior and everything else I I just still feel I'd need to see like back-to-back seasons of that from him I'm still not sold well with Minshew I would say I need to see a full season in general because it seems like he's good for two games then has a stinker and then yeah you know can bounce back manage the game at times but Minshew like I think it should be ahead of Tannehill yeah especially at this point in their career like I, I disagree with Tannehill being so high but the point being like so you got Justin Fields, you got a 36-year-old coming off a torn Achilles, you got a guy that's undersized that, you know, has his flaws in Baker Mayfield, and you got a guy that I think's more, you know, better suited as a top backup in Gardner Minshew. So if you're trying to improve the quarterback position, options are slim when it comes to veterans. What about Jameis? <laughs> I just want to see Jameis play just because there's the kind of the car crash aspect of him playing because he makes plays every once in a while too and it's like these things that blow your mind like what in the hell are you doing but he does it I think we all just like Jameis's sound bites and his pregame stuff so I'm glad that he's found a lead uh, you know a spot in the league as a as a lovable backup but there was that game earlier this year where he got in and immediately rolled to the left and then launched the ball all the way to the back right corner and you're like oh my god that's going to be intercepted but actually like it was a great touchdown catch <laughs> yes that's what I'm thinking of actually He's a trip. I, I'm fine with him having a spot in the league. I'm fine with him being a backup. But, no, I, I don't – if I was a team looking for a quarterback, I'm not calling Jameis. I'm not calling him to come in and, and do anything, really. I, I, I'm fine with him being in the league. But, like, Sam, would you want him backing up Will Levis? <laughs> yeah. You would? Yeah. <laughs> Just as our backup? Yeah, that'd be some great entertainment. But, I mean, in terms of on-field production, I don't know if, if he's giving you, like – a huge boost. I mean, be be better, a, I mean, he'd be a backup over Malik Willis. Yeah, yeah I was going to say he'd be better than Malik Willis. You know, they have the Logan Whiteside years or whatever. So, yeah, you know what? Actually, when I asked that question, I was like, you know what? I would take Jameis for the vibes. Mm-hmm. Him and Will Levis would be a fun combo, I feel like. Okay. Yeah, I'm actually in on that. I think he would. I think he'd give him some grief about the mayo and the coffee, maybe, and eating bananas with the peels on it. I think he'd get that right out of his system. He'd probably do a good job of putting him over as a leader, too. Yeah. Jameis just seems popular, though. Like I, I worry about that with my backup quarterbacks. I don't want them to be more popular than my starter. To where you have portions of the fan base wanting him or the players wanting him. Because he seems almost too, I don't know if I could say too good to be a backup, because I don't think he's too good to be a backup, but he's too popular to be a, like a. The second your starter does something bad, it's like, hey, let's put in Jameis. Let's see what he could do. I mean, I don't know how Saints fans felt, but, like, yeah, like, in, in New Orleans this year, like, what the hell are we doing with Derek Carr? Just put Jameis in. At least he's exciting. Like, I would hate to watch Derek Carr, you know, dink and dunk four yards down the field and, and like, do his mannerisms on the sideline and, and just wear his, eyes, you know, his mascara and just have those really dark <laughs> eyes. Like, put Jameis in if you're going to do that. At least Will Levis would be throwing bombs. So, you would – Jameis would be like, hell, yeah, that's my guy. Taking chances. You throw in a pick, Jameis like, yeah, but you took a shot. That's all that matters. Did you – you guys, you're on social media a lot. There was that video, it was like earlier in the season that where they were showing him doing his workouts with the Saints where they, you know, they do this drill where they're like 
you know, making contact on you while, you know, he's trying to f- look for reeds. But he's like, he's kind of like yelling and grunting. And I don't know if you're talking, remember, remember seeing this, but his offseason training is amazing. Yeah. He's had like four straight years or maybe even longer than that of whoever his trainer is. I don't know if he's a troll or what, but like, <laughs> it's just one of his boys from back home. Just throws like cushions at him and yeah. like they try to just like smack him with noodles. And- yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it makes me laugh, actually. I'm just watching it. It's probably making him better i don't know i don't think it's making him better but i think it's made him more popular because i think that's kind of when the Jameis is so quirky thing happened is like when there was the video of him you know in his off-season drills and like running through the running back uh, trying to hold (laughs) on to the ball and fumbling like i think that made him the lovable quirky backup (laughs) i would like to imagine that Jameis just isn't even practicing he's just going out into a onto a field with his buddy and having him throw cushions at him and then just leaving <laughs> taking the video and going hey, let's get this for tiktok right quick and yeah yes. we'll go and then yeah. of course that whole deal against atlanta when they didn't take a knee and they they gave the ball to uh jamal williams and uh he his press availability afterwards where he was just like very proudly like no man we decided as a team this is what's best this is what's gonna be good and him and the reporter having the semantics battle like they're trying to ask a question and he's just yeah i'm a grown man he's like like, yeah i'm gonna be respectful to you yeah Yeah. i'll I'll be respectful i'm being (laughs) respectful and there's a whole uh thing i love him I, i i need him on my team just for that it's uh the vibes didn't equal winning though in, in with New Orleans though it's not like the, the backup and him being so happy go lucky motivated the boys to win though so I don't know if I would take him in Nashville or not it, it's one of those things that if you're winning it's probably funny but if the moment you're losing you're like get this clown out of here yeah we I talked about Mayfield you know and my questions of can he do two seasons in a row and now I look forward to Joe Flacco and I'm like that's definitely a quarterback I'm not confident can do two seasons in a row like he did if you're Joe Flacco do you want to do two seasons in a row yeah now nah, it's a good point do you not just ride off into the sunset here comeback player of the year you had your moment like the Browns aren't going to bring you back which by the way the, there's rumors out there the Browns are going to be the the opponent of the Eagles in Brazil. Mm. To which everyone's saying, please lock up Deshaun Watson. <laughs> Don't let him go down there around those Brazilian women. Like, just leave him at home. Or if you do transport him, strap him up like Hannibal Lecter. Mm-hmm. Put the mask on him. Restrain him. Wasn't there chatter about chatter of him maybe getting traded? To whom? I know. No, who's going to want to take that contract, right? Yeah, no one, no one's going to trade for Deshaun Watson. Nobody. But it, but what it exposed was maybe the Browns do understand. Like, man, what a, we made a bad move here. Can we try to shop him around? They're not going to find takers, though. Like you said, it's almost like do you just cut the cost? Like, if you're the Browns, do you just try to cut the cost and and either keep Flacco another year and draft a quarterback or, or what? But like, I mean, yeah, you. It's the the sunken cost fallacy. Do you keep investing? Do you keep trying to like overcome this bad investment? Yeah. Do you chase to try to get out of the hole with it? Or do you move on? Because the rest of their team, at least this past year said like, Hey, this team is good enough to win a Super Bowl," And the quarterback play wasn't good enough. Like Flacco was solid with everybody. He was ultimately what undid them in the playoffs. with his two pick sixes and the defense didn't play well against Stroud either, but they, they, they seem championship level good. And you would think like having a $240 million quarterback would make sure that position was solid as well. And it's not. It's not. So like Justin Fields, like he's an upgrade over Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're the Browns, you would you would kill for a Justin Fields, probably. Or maybe there's fans in Cleveland that look at Deshaun Watson and they're just like, hey, one more year. We'll give him one more year and you know, let him knock the rust off and come back and he'll be fully healthy and we'll give him a chance. Maybe that's what they're saying. Maybe they haven't given up on him yet. How many seasons did he end up sitting out? Was it two? Yeah, because he got suspended. Well, he basically set out with the Texans. They benched him slash like, hey, we're parting ways. Well, you're you're deactivated. So he set out that year and then, yeah, he got suspended for, what, the first 12 games of the next year? So, I mean, like, you know, basically, what, 16 games plus 12? I mean, he missed 28 games of action. Yeah. Came back and was pretty bad those five games two years ago. And then was not very good last year either, except against the Titans. Yeah. He 
kicked our ass. That's the only good game he's played in two years. He kicked our ass. So, God, that's hard to believe, man. It's a lot of time that's passed. Because, I mean, he was he was the guy in Houston, man. He I understood how much he was valued, but that's a lot of time away from the game. and Just wonder where his head is at this point, too. The sunk cost fallacy is something that, you know, sports teams always have to kind of consider. And a lot of times they'll be a little too stubborn or too slow to admit when they're wrong. And, like, very few organizations, very few college programs know when the time to cut the tie actually is. We're talking about that, you know, last segment with Penny Hardaway and Jerry Stackhouse. Do you just keep investing and keep investing? And, hey, this guy's turned around. Most of the time they don't. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh did, but he was running a pretty elaborate cheating scandal. A cheating operation. Yes. He, he had it kind of figured out. He, he knew everybody's plays. But, like, with quarterbacks, it, it's gotten a little bit better. You know, I think the Rams kind of did it with Goff. Of course, the Cardinals did it with getting rid of Rosen. But usually you just let the quarterback hang around a little too long. For God's sake, the Jets were still running out Zach Wilson last year. And, like, they could have went and got Joe Flacco. If you put Joe Flacco on that Jets team this year, that version of Joe Flacco, do they not make the playoffs if they make the move in, like, week four or five? Like, Aaron Rodgers went down the very first possession of week one. Yeah. You had, you know, three or four weeks to be like, okay, this isn't going to work. Zach Wilson's the same old guy. Let's make a move. Let's go out. Let's bring in a veteran. Instead, they're like, hey, you know, we spent the second overall pick on this guy. Rodgers says he could trade him up. We think he could be the quarterback of the future, blah, 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 blah. And they wasted an entire season. If Joe Flacco played like he did in Cleveland on the Jets with that defense and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, that team probably wins nine or ten games and wins a couple playoff games. Or at least a playoff game. Yeah. But instead, the old sunk cost fallacy. They're like, hey, we, we invested in Zach Wilson. Let's give him time. And it sounds like the Jets may try to shop Zach Wilson around. Does, does he just fade away? I mean, I just don't think – I'm not sure anybody's willing to take the shot on him. They just haven't seen enough. Zach Wilson for Deshaun Watson. Who says no? Because <laughs> you say, trade him. For who? I know. To whom? Who the hell wants Zach Wilson? But when you ask if someone wants him, like – Josh Rosen and Zach Wilson aren't that different in terms of, like, right. privileged pretty boys that, like, you don't even know if they love football really. But, like, you had four teams, five teams keep kicking the tires on Josh Rosen because he was a top ten talent. Zach Wilson was a top ten talent. He went he went number two. Now, you could argue about whether or not he was actually good enough to go number two. But, yeah, somebody will take a chance on him and have him on a as a backup thinking they could fix him. Which... He might not be above redemption. Like, I'm not going to act like he's had the best coaches in New York either. Kind of like Justin Fields in Chicago. I don't think Justin Fields has had the best offensive coaching in in Chicago. Now, do I think he goes to Pittsburgh and gets that? No. But if you tell me Justin Fields ends up in Denver with Sean Payton, all of a sudden I think, you know, Justin Fields would be in his best position to succeed. Same for Zach Wilson. You know, get away from Robert Sala and whoever the hell is coaching their offense, LaFleur or whatever. Go somewhere else and and get coached up. Wouldn't be the worst idea. That's another that's another guy and a team that's another team that's given up on him is Trubisky. He's kind yeah. of in that yeah. that group too. Yeah, yeah. Which he stunk from the get go. Which yeah. I mean, you know, but he also I don't think got good coaching. He went from what Chicago to Pittsburgh, Buffalo in between. Okay, Buffalo, and he actually looked decent in Buffalo. And yeah. People had kind of talked themselves into him being saved, but like. That was system and coaching, and all of a sudden he looked a little better. Yeah. Maybe that's how Andy Reid continues the dynasty. He'll bring in Zach Wilson. He'll bring in Trubisky, coach him up, and then, you know, get some mid-round picks for him in a couple years. Speaking of which, have you – my wife showed this to me. Have you seen this stuff floating around? I didn't even know Mahomes has a a brother. Not Jackson. I was going to say, yeah. Where have you been? No, one that's a football player that's – Got a different name. We'll have to look this he's, up. He's not a Mahomes. No, I think it's Edwards or something. He, uh, but Patrick Mahomes Senior is the father, and uh, 
Yeah, he played in the Ivy League at Brown, and now he's transferring to Rice. He's a wide receiver, I think. I don't think he's a quarterback, but I was like, God, I've not heard of this dude at all, which kind of surprises me given how much swirls around Patrick Mahomes. But Graham Walker. That's it, Walker, not Edwards Walker. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, a lot going on in that Mahomes household. Also a sister, Mia Randall. You know, Patrick Patrick is a real success story. He really is. He's a real success story. That, that guy's good. That guy's good. And now, you know, he can he can go and help coach up Zach Wilson and, you know, turn his, save his career. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> add, add some new adversity on his plate. He didn't need receivers. Patrick Mahomes had it, had it rough enough coming up. He'll figure it out. Sam sent us to break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.